Hey, this is Jason Hubbard, and I, along with my wife, are the lead pastors of One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. We hope that it encourages you and motivates you to live for Christ. Enjoy this message. We're starting a new series today, and, uh, and I'm really excited about this series. Uh, gather at the table. Gather at the table. Um, the idea of gather at the table is one that has a lot of biblical roots to it. And it's a, it's a metaphor that we're gonna use over these next few weeks to talk about relationship and community within the church and what God intended uh, for the church to look like. And so, um, so we're gonna go on this journey over these next few weeks and, and talk about what it means to gather at the table. But one thing I recognize is that this is all throughout the Bible. Um, and Jesus, actually, a lot of his relational dynamics and his ministry happened around the table. Tables were very important to him. So much that um, the, the disciples and them were sitting at the table once. Go ahead, Nick, you can put this next one up. They were sitting there. They went to a restaurant. Jesus says, I want a table for 26, please. The maitre d' says, but there's only 13 of you. Yeah, but we all want to sit on the same side. Thank you. Thank you. That makes me feel so much better. Come on. You know I have to throw a dad joke in there somehow, right? I just love that. Uh, but these were, these were a big part of, of his life and, and everything that he did. Um, the table. Growing up, uh, for, for my family, and I know it's not true for, for everybody, but in, in my life, um, the table... Uh, was a really important thing for our family. We gathered around the table and, and we shared a lot of meals there together. Um, from a very you know, young age, we all did dinner together. Like that was a very, very important thing. And uh, my grandpa lived with us or we moved back in with him and he was a World War II veteran and he was very, very disciplined. He was a very disciplined man. And, uh, and at 6 p.m. every evening, he would come upstairs for dinner, whether or not dinner was ready. And so he would come up, and if dinner was not ready, he would sit in his chair at the table and just, and just wait. Gave my mom the biggest tax of anxiety ever, right? <laughs> but, uh, but the table was really important, and we would have these conversations, and it was a place where we could kind of debrief from the day, we could reconnect from the day, we could come back together and share stories and laugh and get into each other's worlds. And inevitably, my grandpa would sit at the end of the table, and he would just sit there, and he wouldn't say anything. And we would be like serving food and at some point and, and, and he's just not doing anything. And then pretty soon one of us, well, Grandpa, what, are you okay? Do you need anything? Oh, I'm just waiting for stuff to make it down to this end of the table, you know? Oh, yeah, right, Grandpa, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and so it was, it was this fun thing that we had. The table was very special for me growing up for a, a, a number of reasons too. Um, the, that was where it was instrumental in me coming to know the Lord at three, we were at the dinner table and I got up and I went to the bathroom to relieve myself, gave my heart to the Lord, among other things, and then came back and accepted Jesus at three, left the dinner table to do that. The table was very important in my, in my, my history and my past. Um, and then, and then the table too was where, you know, we, we would sit and we would play games and it was all this kind of stuff. And, and my brother can get me to laugh harder than probably anybody else that I know. And, and he would get me to laugh so hard that I would pee my pants. And I want to say that that was when I was really young. So that's what I'm going to say. 
<laughs> may have been on the older side of things, but we won't go there. We won't go there. But it was really important in the, in the table and the symbolism of that. But the thing that I recognize is in the Bible, the metaphor of the table and the symbolism of the table is really, really key because it paints this picture of what God intended us to be in community together looked like. Because at the table, there was some beautiful, powerful things that took place at the table that didn't take place anywhere else. There, there was there were some things that were around this that as we dig into the biblical context and understand what tables were in the Bible, we understand that they had some power to them that was pretty amazing. The first thing that we recognize about tables in the Bible is that they were a place to be known and loved, to be known and loved. The, the table represents this place where you can come to know God and you can come to know other people and be known by other people. It's this, it's this powerful place that you can come as you are to receive relationship as you are. Now, here, here's my disclaimer, and this is, this is what I want to communicate with this, is that um, when it comes to community in the body of Christ. I recognize that relational hurt and dynamics that have happened in the church are real. And so whenever we step into this place where we start talking about relationship and community, there's a part of us that goes, yeah, that's, that's great, but, but I've got some things from my past. I carry some baggage, carry some hurt. Relational hurt is real. Church hurt is real, sadly. And it affects our ability to be able to come together as the body of Christ. And really, I think it's a tactic of the enemy. He doesn't like the church, so what's he gonna do? He's gonna tear the church apart every chance he gets. And so we see that that. There's, there's something that's trying to keep us away from that. But this is what I understand about community. And this is why I say that the table is a place to be known and loved. Hurt and pain were never God's intention. Community of people that love, care for one another, are there for one another, are accepting of everybody's worlds and the things that they walk through is what Christ intended. He intended us as we come together to strengthen one another, to encourage one another, to walk with each other on our journey. He didn't intend for it to be something that sadly it has become in so many ways that's a deterrent that would cause people to go, ah, I'll come on a Sunday and, and I'll do the, the worship thing and I'll do all of that, but I, I don't know about the whole relationship thing. I, I, I've been in too many bad situations where that's been burned. Can I, can I say over you today that my prayer is that there would be healing from those things. My, my heart for you is that if you walk into this place and you have hurt from previous churches, relationships, family, any place where there is meant to be a safe community and there hasn't been, I want to pray and believe for healing for you for that. That the past does not dictate what God actually has in mind for you. Yes. 
Because God has called us to be in family, to be in relationship, to encourage one another, to lift each other up, to walk through the pain with each other. This is the plan of Christ. And so my prayer is, as we go through this, that community and this idea of the table would be a place for you to be known and loved as you are, to come as you are. And this is the thing that I realize is like any predator, our enemy is looking for those that are isolated and removed from community to pounce on. In our day, in our age, and in our world, and even in the church today, the enemy is looking for those who the enemy has bound in hurt that have avoided relationship that God intended and painted a target on themselves for the enemy. Healing so that we can be a body together. Second thing about the table, the table represents the heart of the home, the heart of the home. As you look at, at the, the layout and the setup of biblical, uh, the biblical homes, and actually really in, in a lot of Middle Eastern uh, homes today too, the central part of the house is the table. It's the heart. It's at the very center. It's not pushed off to the side to a dining room over there. It's at the very center and everything revolves around it. And I think that that is very fitting because it is the heart. It is where all of these things happen. It's where, it's where life happens. It's where freedom happens. It's where sharing and encouraging one another happens. It is where challenging happens. Like it's, it's where all of these things that we have as the body of Christ, it's where they all take place. And for us here at One Life, relationships and community are also the heart of everything that we do. And here we know that that is through small groups. Small groups are the heart of what we do because it's in small groups that we can actually be in relationship with one another, that we can actually have other people that we can lean on and that they can lean on us. It's this opportunity for us to come to this place to where everything that God wants to do can be grown and be, can be increased, freedom can be experienced, life can be experienced, that all of these things, these benefits happen of relationship when we come together. This is why small groups are so important, and this is why they're a big part of what we do. Not just a part that we do, but they're a massive part of what we do. Because I would say this, that even if all we do is come on a Sunday, we miss out on a big, big chunk of community the way God intended it to be. And this is why these are so important for us to be able to have this. There's power at the table. There's power at the table. There's power in community. Because what happens is as people come together as the body of Christ, there's encouragement and strength. There's accountability, which is such a fun word. There's challenge. There's all of these things that are present within that. And there can be healing and there can be transformation and there can be freedom that takes place all within this context. And the enemy does not like it. I think that that is why we see in our world today that even the natural table in the home has been destroyed. We're always on the run. We're just going to grab food and eat it in the car on the way because it's all the things, right? We're too busy to stop. Or if we're at home, how many times do we just sit in front of the TV and eat in front of the TV and, and then that's it with no real relationship? I'm not knocking anybody who does that, right? No condemnation. 
I'm just saying the enemy uses these as tools to disrupt what God has ordained and what God has set up. So for us, as we talk about gathering at the table, we want to come from a place where um, we come to the, um, how do I say it? The, the unadulterated version of community that God intended, the pure version of relationship that God intended for us to be able to strengthen and encourage one another. It's a place where, where God has designed that you can come as you are and not have to put up a face and not have to put up a front to pretend something. Community is where we can actually come together in those places. And finally, the table is for the hungry. <laughs> the table is for the hungry. The table is a place where those who are looking for satisfaction can come together. And that's both natural and spiritual. And the reason I say it that way is because most of our groups gather around food, which is fantastic. There's natural hunger that is taken care of, but there's also spiritual hunger that's taken care of. I wanna, I wanna read this. This is something that as, as Ellie and I have been processing culture and the culture of, of one life and what we're really building here. We, I want to just read this and sew this into you. You can put the next one up, Nick. We are a spiritually hungry church. We are passionate about Jesus and his spirit is active in our lives. We want God to work in our hearts. And we know we can't live this life of faith without him. We're not satisfied with where we are. We know that there is more in God. And everybody would say an Amen. That's what we believe. That's the culture that we're believing. We believe that we want to be spiritually hungry. Now, here's the thing is that relational hunger, if, you, if you're meeting in relationship and you're in community and all of this kind of stuff, that that will feed spiritual hunger. And here's what I mean by this. As we get together as small groups and in the body of Christ, there is a relational dynamic that then we start to spur on a spiritual hunger. And it starts to answer this deeper longing in our heart. This is, where we get to, this is where we get to challenge and encourage each other to move forward in the faith. This is where we get to start saying, hey, what's God speaking to you right now? What, what, what's God doing? Well, I don't, I don't really know right now. Oh, let's dig into the word together. Let, let's hear what he has to say to us. Let's start ingesting some massive amounts of scripture so that he can speak to us and that our hearts can come alive and that our, our spiritual hunger can be quenched. Our relationships help us to be able to do that. So we want to be hungry. And then um, this, is, this is cool about Matthew. Uh, at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was talking and he promised that those who are hungry will be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. For they will be filled. It's a promise. It's an amazing promise. Now, tables played a big, big deal in Jesus's life. And I want to share a little bit of a story here uh, about Jesus at a table, right? And, uh, and we see this, you know, there's, there's multiple tables, there's multiple stories of Jesus at the table, but this one in particular, I thought was really cool. It kind of paints this picture of where we're going. Okay. You guys good? Yeah. Okay. All right. Here we go. We're going to go to Mark two and Mark two. Um, there's two things that happened. Uh, we're going to see this, this scenario of Jesus at the table. Right before that, 
was when Jesus had finished uh, healing the paralyzed man who was dropped down, th- lowered, not dropped. <laughs> ah, now he's really paralyzed. Ah, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but there was healing for this man who was lowered before Jesus and his sins were forgiven and he baffled the Pharisees and, and it was just, it was really cool. If you were a Jesus follower, it was one of those things that you're like, oh, that was awesome, you know? He just messed with them. And then in verse 13, it says this in the NLT. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. And he walked along and saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus told him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. I just love that. And this part that they put in parentheses in the NLT, I really like. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Like the majority were tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. I love it. But when the teachers of the religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and other sinners, they asked the disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Wow, geez, that's strong language. And when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those, and I love this wording, not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Now, between those two groups of people, I think I would like to fall on the side of people who know I'm a sinner. I don't want to think I'm righteous. I don't want to think that for some reason I can earn it or come up with anything. Now, we do have righteousness in Jesus. I'm not discounting that. That's not what I'm talking about. But living a life of perfection and earning all of these things and doing all these things, I much rather love living in the place of knowing that I'm a sinner and that my Savior has paid the price for my life and I have freedom in him. I don't know. That's just me. Which means that this is really encouraging for us. If we fall into those who know that they are sinners, that means we are disreputable and scum. Congratulations, you are scum. (laughs) But here's the thing that I recognize about this. Here's the thing that I recognize, and this is the powerful thing about the table. We're all at the same place when we come to the table. The table is not built on social standing or the ability to earn a place at the table. Romans 3 says this, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you know what the Greek for all is? Yes. You guys are learning. I'm so proud of you. And we have an inside joke. It's so awesome. You you guys get honorary bachelor's degrees from a Bible college. Fantastic. You know your Greek. That was amazing. All have sinned, which means there's not one person in this room who hasn't sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all on the same plane when we come before Jesus, when we come before the table. The only people that are excluded from the table, there is a group of people that are excluded from the table. What? But you just said, yes, I know what I said. Let me finish my sentence and then I'll tell you the rest. Okay, go ahead and finish your sentence. Okay, thank you. I'll go ahead and finish my thought. That's just how my brain works. Um, 
The only people excluded from the table are those who have excluded themselves because they think they don't need Jesus. Nothing you do disqualifies you from the table, from relationship, from the body of Christ, from the community of believers, from being here. Nothing you can do other than when you start to live a life that says, I, I don't need Jesus. I live a pretty good life. I, I'm a pretty good person. I, mean, I make pretty good choices. I'd say 95% of the time, I'm a really good person. I don't read red lights. Don't flip anybody off when I drive past them at 90 miles an hour. Like, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. But the minute we, we convince ourselves that we don't need Jesus is when we've said that we don't need the table, when we don't need community. So I prefer to be one of the people that know I'm a sinner, need a savior, and have a savior. And because of that, it allows me to approach the table. Relationship. I get to hang out with you guys and we get to be a church because of Jesus. That's it. Now, here's, here's the thing. I believe that in the church, the enemy, and, and this might be for somebody in the room, it also might be for somebody online, the enemy has lied to say that you need to be a certain way or have it all figured out or have your life pulled together before entering into community, before coming to the table. And it is a lie. It is a lie that you have to have it all figured out before you come. It is a lie that before you step foot inside of a church that you have your life sorted out. It is a lie from the pit of hell. Yeah. Romans 8 says this, therefore, there is no condemnation in Christ. Meaning for your life, there is no condemnation in Christ. Doesn't mean, it means that on your very, very worst day that you can possibly imagine, doing the absolute worst things that you can possibly imagine, there is no condemnation over your life that would remove you from approaching him and approaching relationship with the body of Christ. I, I, I would say this, and, and this is an apologetic place for the church at large, I think that the church has done a really, really bad job of being a welcoming place for anybody, regardless of where they're at in life. And, and we don't say that, but I think in so many ways we've created these, these places that the appearance of having everything together is there. The appearance of having it all sorted out is there, right? And probably none of you are in this place, but I know I'm guilty of it, so I'll go ahead and throw myself out there. I've been guilty of coming to a gathering and putting on a face. I've been guilty of just putting my best foot forward to make it so that everything's okay. I've been there. I've been there. Because there's this feeling, and I really think that it's a lie of the enemy, that if that's not the case, you are less than and you don't have as much of a place in the relationship of the body of Christ. And it's a lie. Yes, it is. Yes. 
I want to break off of you today, if you've ever felt that condemnation that your lifestyle or the way that you live life somehow disqualifies you from the throne of grace and from the Savior and from Jesus and from relationship, I want to break that off of you because there is no condemnation in Christ. Now, the caveat is that then this is the flip side. Jesus does work on us. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> But you are welcome to come as you are with everything that you're working through and walking through. And this is why this truth is so powerful. Because you know who's at the table? The Savior. The Savior is at the table. We are able to approach the table, relationship, the body of Christ. We are able to come together in this place because He's already here. And he has prepared and provided a place for us. I don't know about you, but if I'm going to go to a new person's house and I was invited there by somebody else that I know, I have a lot more boldness if I know that the person who invited me there is there already. Anybody ever been there? You know, you show up at somebody's house and you're like, oh no, they're not here yet. Like, what am I going to do? Sit awkwardly in my car, you know? <laughs> Never done that before. Um, but there's a greater boldness when you know that the person who has invited you has prepared a place for you. We are welcome at the table and in relationship and in the community of God because Jesus has gone before us and prepared a place for us. Jesus is the central part of the story, He's the central part of the table. And again, it's not marked by social standing or anything that you can earn, but it's marked by the power of the cross. The only reason that we are ever able to approach the house of God, relationship with God, relationship with one another is because of his grace and because of his love that he poured out upon us. It's a powerful thing that we recognize that he's done for us. Now, because Jesus is at the table, because Jesus is at the table, there's some benefits to this. The first one is this, is that with Jesus, the outcast becomes the insider. The outcast becomes the insider. I want you to think about your life. You know what you and I deserve to be outcast? You and I deserve to be out there. We've sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. But the beautiful thing is that God turns all of that upside down and says, listen, you were outcast, but now you are an insider. You were lost, but now you're found. And here's, here's this, this beautiful part too, right? So we talk about Jesus leaving the 99 and going for the one, which he absolutely did. But this is what's so cool about the table and community. He brings the one back to the 99, and what does that look like when the one returns into the 99? There's celebration because the outsider is now inside. It's part of the family. It's part of relationship. With Jesus, the outcast is now an insider. John 15, 15, I know I'm, I'm jumping around a little bit, Nick, but John 15 says this. This is what Jesus says over us. He says, I do not call you servants anymore. 
because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends. This is what Jesus speaks over you today. You are a friend of God. He speaks that over you. You're not outcast. You're a friend. So at the table, we all get to come because Jesus is there. Our savior is there. He's prepared a place for us and he's prepared this, this beautiful thing that we can sit in. And it's just, it's just this beautiful thing. And then, and then we know that because he's there, man, he just, we can enter in. We don't have to be an outsider. We can be an insider. And also then one of the benefits that comes is with Jesus, there's healing. There's healing. This is, this, is, this is one of the powerful things about Jesus. This is one of the powerful things about the table. And this is what I talked about a little bit earlier, that if there's hurt, relational hurt, church hurt, there's things going on in life that have happened, that, that, that all of those things, there is healing for all of those things. Let me, let me just speak this over you today. And I put it in the notes so that you can have it and not lose it. Jesus loves you where you're at but he loves you too much to leave you where you're at. He's not going to just leave you in where you're at in life. He's not going to leave you without healing. He's not going to leave you without fulfillment and fullness. No, he's going to bring that healing to your life. He's going to bring that wholeness to your life. He loves you. He loves me. He loves us. And he has healing for us. He has healing for us. There was another table that Jesus was sitting at at a Pharisee named Simon's house. And, uh, and we, we, this account is of the woman who came with the alabaster jar. And she came and she broke the jar and anointed him. And then she cried and wiped his feet with her hair and with her tears. And the disciples, of course, were just all up in arms like, what in the world? Like, do you know who she is? Do you know her problems? Like all of this kind of stuff. And then Jesus, Jesus speaks up. And in verse 47, he says this, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she's loved much, because the one who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. If I can do my part as a pastor, as a shepherd, as hopefully some semblance of a voice of God in some part, I want to reiterate over your life today, you are forgiven. You are forgiven of all shame, guilt, condemnation, failure, sin, everything that you carry in life, the things that you've done on your absolute worst day, you are forgiven. It's one thing to hear. It's another thing to believe. Goes on to say that those who are at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. As you leave church today, as you leave one life, as you go about your week, 
I want you to hear over your life, your sins are forgiven, go in peace. Go in peace. I wanna just pause here for a second and doing things a little bit different today, but I recognize that sometimes the biggest deterrent of being able to step into community is because our relationship with God is not right. That we haven't actually believed and received the forgiveness that he has for our lives. But I wanna tell you that it is there for you. If you're here in this place and you're, you're in the room or you're online and you do not have a relationship with God, which means that you've been living your own life You've been doing your own thing. You've been trying to just be good enough to maybe let you go to church and be perfect enough. The thing is, you'll never be perfect enough without Jesus. But Jesus makes you perfect because he's perfect. If you're listening to my voice and you don't have a relationship with Christ, I want to extend an invitation for you to the table, to relationship to the body of Christ. Because I can tell you right now, Jesus is standing with his arms wide open, ready to receive you. With all of your baggage, with all the shame, with all the guilt, with all the condemnation that you've lived under, he's ready to receive you and brush all that stuff off of your life. So if you're here this morning, I'm gonna lead us all in a prayer. If you're like, you know what, yeah, I, I need Jesus. I need that. I need that forgiveness. I need the forgiveness of my sins. I, need, I want him to be the Lord of my life. I want him to be in control. I want you to pray this prayer with the belief in your heart that when you say it, this is what the Bible says, that when you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's bow our heads and just repeat this after me. Say, Jesus, I come to you today. Give me of my sins. And I simply ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I ask you to wash away my guilt, my shame. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for taking all of my sins on yourself and paying the price for it. Today, I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. And I make you the Lord of my life. You call the shots. Thank you for being my God and for being my savior. Amen. If you pray that prayer for the first time, I want you to know something right now that there's a party going on in heaven. This is what the Bible says. And when there's one heart that comes to the Lord, that all heaven goes crazy. And I want you to know that we're celebrating with you here too. We are so excited that you made a choice, whether you're here or online, to follow Jesus. We're so excited. Can we do this? Can we just put our hands together to celebrate those who ask Jesus in their heart? That same connection card that I talked about earlier, um, I would, 
just invite you to, to use that um, uh, again. Um, if you ask Jesus in your heart uh, to where you could, um, I, I'd love for you to fill that out and put it in the buckets at the end of service. And what that does is allows me to provide you with some next steps of your walk with the Lord. Uh, this is not going to be anything crazy other than I'm a pastor and I love being able to give people their next steps to their walk with Jesus. It's a joy, joy of my life. And so if you would do that and you would fill that out and you can put it there um, and, and then I'd be able to follow up with you. But thank you for doing that, making that decision today. One more point, And then we're going to get ready to wrap it up here today is this. We need the community of the table. We need the community, right? We, we don't want to live isolated lives that have a big target painted on our back. We want to be in community, the safety of community. And I want you to hear, hear this over. This is why I worded it this way. We all need community of the table, meaning, meaning this. You are needed in this family. And you need this family. This is what's so beautiful about community. You individually bring something to the family of God here at One Life Church that nobody else can bring. As you sign up for a small group, you will bring something to that small group that nobody else can bring. Mike's dip. I'm just kidding. Maybe it's Mike's dip. I have yet to have Mike's dip. I hear it's really, really good. So, hey, yeah, thank you. Nobody's welcoming me into that family. <laughs> but you all bring something here and you need what everybody else brings to your life. Guys, let's make community really important. Let's make this uh, uh, the goal of our life to press in to this family, to the body of Christ. Let's make it our goal so that we can't be picked off by the enemy or torn away. We need each other. Ecclesiastes 4 says this, that a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. This is why we need one another.